listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to the finale of Story Embers Fox Week. Grace Livingston. I'm Josiah DeGraff. I'm Rolina Hatfield. And we are so thrilled to have Nadine Brandis, author of Fox, the newly released Romanov, and the Out of Time series here with us today. Woohoo! Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yes, yeah. this is going to be so fun. <laughs> so I guess we'll go ahead and start from the beginning. What was it that inspired Fox and what did it look like to take that original gem and develop it into a full story? Well, I feel like my answer is going to be very non-inspiring for people because it really started where my publisher, Thomas Nelson HarperCollins, said, what do you think about doing a historical fantasy? And I said, sure, let me think of one. And (laughs) I knew the story of Guy Fawkes because I had lived in England for a time and I'd always thought it was fascinating Um, especially because when in England, you hear two different sides of the coin, like, wow, Guy Fawkes is really cool, or no, actually, he was a terrorist. And so hearing different perspectives from people made me want to dive into the story and kind of represent both sides of that coin. So it started out a little non-inspirational, just my publisher saying, you should try this. Um, But once I landed on doing the Guy Fawkes story, I couldn't stop my imagination after that. Yeah. For me, that's helpful to hear kind of the, the other side of the spectrum because I, I don't know, I feel like sometimes as, as authors and artists, we can kind of get in the mindset that everything needs to be, you know, inspired to be an awesome story we care a lot about. And the fact that, you know, even though, you know, began as just a suggestion from the publisher, it obviously became something you cared a lot about and turned into a really awesome story. It's, it's neat to kind of hear that, that other, other end in, of the spectrum there. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, It was an interesting lesson for me to learn as well, because the Out of Time series was a series from my heart and just filled with inspiration left and right. And writing Fox was uh, more a story from my head, and it didn't make it its way to being something personal until after I was partway through writing it. So it was really different because it felt more like I'm writing this logically instead of emotionally. And then I fell in love with the characters as I was writing them rather than before I wrote the story. So it was really neat. And I felt like a completely different perspective on writing a novel. Hmm. Did you find that you had to go back and and revise parts you'd written with your head before, you know, before you were really writing more with your heart? Yes. Uh, the first draft was a bit dry. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I figured out Thomas's character by the end. And my editor said, well, at the beginning of the book, he kind of starts out like a nine or 10 year old boy and ends up as a man. So we need to somehow flesh that out. So he's the correct age. And I had started him out just so much younger, think, you know, not really figuring out his character. And by the end, when I'd figured him out, it was like, yes, there he is. And now I need to go back and write him into the beginning of the story. Oh, speaking of developing characters, Emma was honestly my favorite part of Fox. I loved her so much. So I'm really curious, what kind of inspired her and how did she come to be? Yeah, she was the most fun um, character to write. Emma was inspired mainly 
from the theme of the story because um, Thomas enters the story trying to figure out what it is to search for truth and to be discerning in um, these big matters that, uh, you know, in a magic war and a silent war, and he's kind of following what people are telling him. And I knew that his journey was going to be one of him learning how to navigate big decisions and beliefs on his own rather than just following others. And Emma, she's at the end of that journey where she has figured that out and she knows where she stands with things. And so I wanted her to bring that contrast and also kind of a voice of reason um, with Thomas as they're interacting together, but also showing the confidence and just power of character that that can bring when you've learned how to search for truth on your own and when you've learned to be discerning. And did you say that Emma was your favorite character to write? Yes. Yes, because she surprised me the most as I was writing her. Mm. And I felt like Thomas didn't really know her through a majority of the book. And as he discovered her, I discovered her as well. And so it was kind of like she was unmasking herself for me, the author, as well as for Thomas. So what would you say was the scene where where you felt like you really understood him as a character? Oh, that's a good question. Not to be cliche, but the big reveal scene, um, you know, readers will know what I'm talking about, but I felt like that's when I understood what secrets she was keeping and why, and it showed a mixture of her strength and vulnerability in that mm-hmm. scene. I think that's when I really got a grasp on who she was. Ah, uh, yes, I love that scene. I've been enjoying the book up to that point, but after that scene, it was just a whirlwind. I could not put it down. I remember having to run errands, and I brought the book with me, even though I knew I wouldn't have a chance to read any. I had to bring it just in case. I had two seconds. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I've I've heard from a lot of readers that that was kind of a pivotal scene for them. And it was it's my favorite scene in the entire book. So it's exciting to hear that from readers because it felt powerful to me, but you never really know how it's going to feel to readers. And so I was excited to hear that it carried the same weight with readers. Did you did you know before that scene who without without being too spoilery did did you know the, the the secret when you began writing her or is that something you discovered along with Thomas? I discovered it partway through the first draft, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't something unknown to me for a very long time. I knew that she had a secret, and um, I knew that I wanted to incorporate different aspects of the culture in that time period, and I just hadn't figured out how yet her character and her secret came to me pretty, pretty quickly as I was drafting. Hmm. And did you, did you find that you had to go back and do a lot of revisions to, to tie it specifically to that secret and that reveal afterward? I did with a lot of small things like clothing and um, different ways that she carried herself in different situations, just making sure that all of that was accurate. And I think I got everything. I had one reader who had said when they found out her secret, they went back and reread the first half of the book to see if I'd made any slips and they didn't find any. So I think I managed it. I love hearing all y'all's favorite characters of Fox. I was really surprised by my favorite character because I loved so many of them. But actually my favorite character is White Light. And I think the reason why is because the more that he started showing up, the more I would just, he was, he's so mysterious. And yet then he'd be sensitive and then he would be so witty. (laughs) I love, love White Light's 
witty comments. But um, yeah, I was kind of curious how his character kind of came about. Like what, what helped you decide make White Light who he was? Well, I love that you call him a character because that's exactly how I see him instead of just the magic system. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> totally his own character. <laughs> yes. Um, that was really inspired by digging into the history of what was going on, um, you know, outside of my fantastical take on it looking at what was going on between Protestants and Catholics. And there was just so much strife between those two and so much confusion on how to relate with God. And, you know, people have their opinions on which side was right, but both sides had so many issues and um, just misunderstandings. So I wanted white light to kind of represent, not to sound like cheesy in a way, but the the interaction with God and maybe what he wanted from the people at the time was just how to look at me. I'm approachable and I'm witty and I'm funny. And um, so it was inspired from that uh, and inspired just from going beyond the little things that they were nitpicking religiously and stepping out of that and looking at, I guess, kind of a, a raw relationship with him. Yeah. Did you did you ever find it a challenge when uh, when writing the white light to to write him in that way, given the 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 allegorical components to him, or how hard did you find it to be both give him a, a personality and this you know this unique character while also bringing in that you know the, those other components you re- reveal later on in the story? It was. I mean, it was a little bit tough finding a good balance, not making him too witty or too creepy (laughs) or, you know, finding the balance of what he's revealed to be as you discover him through the book. But um, yeah, I, I felt like I had to step back, especially from a lot of ways that I'm tempted to just think of, you know, the allegorical side of things and what I've seen done in a lot of other fiction and how we tend to come away with that with this cliche idea of how it should be represented um and so having to step out of that and i i really had to step out of the preconceived ideas or just the knee-jerk reactions on how i thought he was supposed to be perceived just like thomas has to and then step back in raw and more open-minded as i was writing white light yeah yeah that's really cool i'd love to to talk a bit more about allegories um since my article that I'm I'm writing for Fox Week is focusing specifically on the allegorical component, the ways I felt like I I've grown as a writer through through looking at Fox as an example of allegory, because that's that's probably one of my favorite things about Foxes. I, I I I tend to not like a lot of modern Christian allegories, but I really really liked Fox, and I really like the way that you you took the allegory component and did it in a in a very different way um, than I'm, I'm used to seeing. Uh, so what did that, that process look like for you in, in how you were trying to, to craft the allegory you know, in, a, in a different way and, and try to develop it as a, as a rich, rich uh, allegorical story? Well, it really started on the research side of things in making sure that I understood the true story because if I started with the allegory um, built on broken understanding of what was actually happening during that time period, then the allegory wouldn't align and wouldn't make sense. 
so I really had to do a lot of research to make sure that I understood both sides and I understood what was going on, you know, in that time period and then started weaving the allegory in just piece by piece, bit by bit. I started with one side and worked out what it would look like from that and then and then went to the other side of just opinions and worked in the allegory, kind of making a list of what connects what, um, how does the magic system connect to this part of history or this perspective or this mindset. And yeah, it, it was a long process. I would say the magic system and that allegory took me the longest to fine tune through editing. Hmm. And speaking of the magic system, what inspired you to use the colors and the mask? Like what was the, the creative thought behind this idea? Well, the masks really came from V for Vendetta, which is a, um, it's a futuristic dystopian kind of comic book that's based off of Guy Fawkes as well. And I, I always liked the idea of the masks and I wanted to tie that in um, just kind of as a nod to all of the people who love V for Vendetta and how that's also gunpowder plot related. Um, so the initial idea for masks kind of came from um, the mystery that I'd always seen from that story. Then the rest of it was just a magic system that I hadn't seen done because I my my brain was going toward a lot of typical magic systems. And I would think, oh, well, maybe I should do, you know, something elemental. But I see, I've seen that in so many other books and wanting to do something that would fit the story better, but also not be connected to other stories in readers' minds. So I rewrote it and rewrote it so many times that I can't really narrow down to when I actually landed on, okay, color magic, and this is how it's going to work. It was more like, okay, we're going to do colors and it's not working. So now we're going to do masks. Okay, that's working. You know, how do you get the color connected with the mask? It took so long, but by the end, I was so pleased with how it all ended up working together so perfectly. Now that I've written Romanov after Fox, I do find myself trying to go outside of the box with magic systems just because for me when writing it does make it more my own and I really want to focus on what does the story need instead of what do I think would be cool um, I love when those two things go hand in hand but um, I I do try to keep it a bit unique to the book so that the book can kind of stand on its own two feet and speaking of Romanoff, it's in the same historical fantasy vein as Fox, but the Out of Time series was dystopian. What kind of prompted you to make this switch from sci-fi dystopian to historical fantasy? Is it just a niche you wanted to explore? Yeah, um, I knew after the Out of Time series that I always wanted to do something with fantasy because it's my favorite genre to read. And I did not think that I would... <laughs> enter into the fantasy realm with a historical, but um, after writing Fox, I, I fell in love with doing the research and I knew that I knew that I had always wanted to write an Anastasia retelling, but I didn't know what that would look like. And once I had entered into the historical fantasy side of things with Fox, that's when the Anastasia retelling really took form in my mind. And I knew that that will be the next historical fantasy. And it was just set up the story was set up so perfectly to be that. So yeah, it was a stretch for me because I hadn't done anything historical before um, or fantasy. So it was all new and I really, really loved it. And I'm excited to 
probably stick more in the fantasy vein after these books. So thinking some about historical fantasy, um, I'm not terribly familiar with, you know, I, I've read Fox and I think maybe, maybe one other, but I haven't read a ton um, within the historical fantasy genre. Um, have you, had you already read a lot of historical fantasy beforehand or did you find yourself researching historical fantasy as a genre or what was that like to come into that genre after doing sci-fi earlier with the Out of Time series? Yeah, the genre was actually pretty new. I still feel like it's pretty new in the YA readership, but there's a bit more of it out now than when I first started writing Fox. I enjoyed historical. Up until this point, I hadn't read much historical fantasy at all, Um, but I... I like the idea of blending genres, and there are a lot of books out there that do blend genres, not necessarily history and fantasy, but um, other two genres. And so to me, it just went hand in hand. And I had seen a couple books coming out. My Lady Jane was one of them, which is a um, YA, YA like comical historical fantasy. It's brilliant. You guys should all read it. Um, and then though it's written by three authors, and they they're doing three books, uh, My Lady Jane, and then another one, and, and the third one, and they're all historical with kind of a fantasy twist. Uh, and then there's quite a bit of YA, just historical, which I also really enjoyed reading. So for me, it seemed like the blend of genres that worked for where I wanted to take my writing, and I could see that it was a budding genre that was growing a bit. So I'm thankful that I entered into it kind of as it's been growing, and now it seems to be more of a solid subgenre that's come into its own. Did you feel like you had more freedom with it as a subgenre since it was still being defined, or did you approach it differently than you would say a more established genre than without of time, or or what was it like writing and, and making those sorts of authorial decisions in a you know a subgenre that you were still you know was still being cultivated and developed. Yeah, I didn't look too much into how other people were doing it um, just because I didn't want to start doubting how I was going to approach Fox. When I'm writing or drafting a book, I tend not to read in that genre for a lot of different reasons that I won't get into. But um, since it was new, I felt like I could take it where I needed to uh, for the story. And that would be okay because there aren't a lot of hard and fast rules set for historical fantasy. And even now I don't feel that there are. So I felt like I had quite a bit of liberty, but it was difficult trying to mesh the history with fantasy and figure out the balance. Was it going to be more historical or more fantasy? And uh, there were several times where I did think, are people just going to think this is weird because they're picking it up as a historical and then suddenly there's color power and masks and white light in your head. And you know, <laughs> am I going to be eaten alive because I couldn't settle on one genre or the other? So I'm glad that people ended up liking it, but it was a real unknown path for me as I wrote it. And I didn't because there wasn't that much out at the time, I don't even know how I would have educated myself more on what sort of rules people were following when writing it or what was standard or what was accepted. All I knew of was My Lady Jane and maybe one other book. And My Lady Jane is a comedy and mine is not. So yeah, it was 
it was an adventure to kind of blaze that trail for myself. Right. Well, I guess you, you, you were kind of getting to, to write some of the, perhaps the, the rules that will be followed in the historical fantasy genre then in, in that regard. Yeah, maybe I'm the one making the rules and everyone else is going to be stressed out because they don't know if they're allowed to break them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say, yes, break them. Write the book that needs to be written. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, Nadine is going to tackle some of our more technical questions about how Fox came to be. Stay tuned. A bit of an introduction for those of you just joining. Welcome to the Story Embers podcast. Each episode, some Story Embers staff members and I sit down to discuss a variety of story-related subjects. And so far, we've explored topics like how our personal faith has impacted our storytelling, how to write witty characters, Christian fantasy and allegory, and much more. To catch up on previous episodes, simply look us up under Story Embers Podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or iTunes. And be sure to subscribe on any of these platforms so you never miss another episode. Welcome back, everyone. I'm with SE staffers Josiah DeGraff and Rolina Hatfield and YA author Nadine Brandis. We're wrapping up our Fox Highlight Week here at Story Embers by pelting Nadine with all the questions about her writing process with Fox and what she learned during that process. Okay, Josiah, you said you had a question, so take it away. So, all right, so, so another question I had kind of taking uh, jump from looking at genre to looking at prose and, and character voice. One thing I've I noticed since I've, I, I haven't read the whole Out of Time series, but I read A Time to Die and I also read Fox's that both of them were, were written in first person. And I don't know if you're playing the same thing with, with Romanoff or, or, or not, but I was wondering what sorts of, um, what you as an author like the most about writing in first person and what tips you might have for other authors who also want to write in first person, particularly in a, in a speculative fiction genre where you know why you tend to have more first person but you know fantasy you tend to have less first person and what tips you have specifically about writing first person um, within fantasy yeah I obviously prefer writing in first person I did try writing Fox in third person and then it just didn't fit for the story so I went back and changed it um, I do think that every book is different and needs its own you need to explore and figure out which tense and which voice is appropriate for that story. So like the out of time series is first person present tense. And then Fox and Romanov are both first person past tense. I'd, I think present tense would have been very weird for Fox mm. and Romanov. It would have felt a bit too modern. So I prefer first person because it's, uh, for me, it helps me get more into the head of the characters. And at least with the out of time series, it felt very journal-esque. And I think it needed to be that for YA to help the young adult reader really connect with my characters. And I guess my tips for writing first person is it needs to be very personal. And so don't be afraid to get into describing the emotions because a lot of times in third person, it can be, I've seen a lot of writers wonder you know, am I telling, is this telling the emotion or telling the, um, you know, physical reactions and things like that? Am I allowed to write that in third person or is that kind of head hopping? But in first person, you're allowed to get a little deeper in describing some of the emotions because 
it feels a bit more in the character's head when you're writing in first person, whereas third person, the reader often feels like a companion on the journey, but it doesn't necessarily feel like they are that character. Sometimes they do, but they're more inclined to feel like I'm entering in this journey with them. Whereas in first person, it's I'm entering into this journey as them. One big tip, if you're typically a writer who writes in third person, um, there's the temptation to write thoughts in like thoughts in italics or Mm. separating the thoughts from the narrative. And in first person, the thoughts are the narrative. So basically all of the narrative is coming from that character's head. So nothing has to be specified as I think this um, because it's assumed that every perspective, everything that's described is seen straight from that character's eyes. And so how she sees something may not be how you, the author, sees something, but that's how that character has to see it. So that's how it needs to be described. Whereas in third person, it can be, things can be described or experienced or explained, you know, more from an omniscient point of view, not necessarily like a solid omniscient point of view, but it can be a bit more neutral. Whereas first person, everything needs to be a reflection of the character whose point of view you are in at that time. Do you find that there are particular challenges to writing in first person that you, that you have to work to avoid? Or do you find that it tends to be, tends to be pretty natural without any, any challenges for the most part? For me personally, my biggest challenge is that I can get a bit too introspective and my editors are always like, okay, they're thinking a lot and okay, they're thinking deeply, but this isn't a deep thinking moment, you know? And so I end up always having to go back and trim out some of the narrative because it affects my pacing. So, and you know, one of my, the most frequent feedback I get for A Time to Die in Fox is, well, it's a little slow at the start and then it finally picks up. I think it's because I try to get a little bit too introspective or ease into the bigger story because I like spending time in their head and getting to know them as I introduce them to the reader. So that's my personal struggle with that. And But I do feel like I'm getting better. I, the feedback I've gotten from Romanov is not that. So I think I've gotten a little better. <laughs> so thinking about that, is that um, something that you try to think about as you write? Or is that something that you like to go back to and look at and see if it's slowing the pacing down with too much narrative? I like to come back to it and look at it because for me, it's always easier to cut stuff out and to notice flaws when they're already written rather than to avoid them when I haven't written them yet. (laughs) So I'd rather have a really, really long first draft that then I can trim and prune than a um, skeletal first draft that I have to keep filling in because as I'm writing, I can stay in that moment or in that scene a lot deeper and try to think of it from all angles. But when I'm editing, it's just a different part of my brain. And it, I, I tend to approach the novel from more of a technical rigid point of view. So I try to get all the creative stuff out in the first draft. See, I'm, I, and I'm, I tend to be on the other side of the spectrum than normally. Normally, my first draft is very, very short on that, and then I need to go back and, and add, add more of that since it normally takes me the, the whole first draft to actually discover who the person is. Mm, yep. It's important to know your own writing tendencies and strengths and weaknesses, and I feel it takes a lot of time to learn that about yourself, but once you do, it's just troubleshooting after that. 
I think someone someone else had mentioned something that I was just really curious. How long did it take you to write Fox? Ooh, well, that's a different question than how long do I wish I'd had to write Fox? <laughs> I sold this book on proposal, which means I sold the idea. I did not have a first draft. Um, I had nothing written but when I signed my contract. So I, uh, I'm trying to think back. My brain is still in Romanov mode. So I'm like, no, okay, think back to Fox. Um, I wrote Fox, I believe the first draft in about four or five months. That sounds about right. Um, Probably more on the four month side of things. That is not my preferred speed at all. So what I turned in was, I can hands down say it was the most, the most terrible thing I've ever written. And I mean, it still, it still was a story, but it needed a lot of work. So if I hadn't had a deadline, I expect that I, I would have written it and polished it over the course of probably eight or nine months. But um, yeah, deadlines kind of change my writing speed and what comes out in that first draft. And a lot of times it's not ideal. But then, but so that was first draft. Don't think that like, oh, the book you hold in your hands was four months of work. No, then we edited for another five months. So there, there was still that process. So I guess from um, first word to finished draft, you could probably say is uh, nine or 10 months total. And that was all of my questions. This has been really, really fun. I learned all sorts of things about Fox. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thank you. This was this was a bunch of fun to be able to, to talk with you here and, and be able to learn all of this. Yay. Oh, good. I'm so glad we were able to do this. And thanks all for reading Fox and um, doing this kind of Fox Focus week that you guys are doing. That sure means a lot. Thanks so much, listeners, for tuning in. You can learn more about Nadine and her works at NadineBrandis.com. Be sure to check out our Fox article series on our blog where we dive deeper into what makes Fox such an amazing story. You can find the link to part one in this episode's description. Also, be sure to enter our giveaway for a chance to win a signed copy of Fox plus some cool book swag. Special thanks to Taylor Cloxton and Michael Stanton for their support on our Patreon. Finally, join me again on June 1st as Josiah, Rolina, and Deus Lamb tackle how to write flawed protagonists without turning off readers on the next episode of the Story Umbers podcast. Oh, wait, I did have one more question. Nadine, what kind of tea are you drinking? Oh, <laughs> It's actually related to the book. What? So my my favorite tea is Yorkshire tea, which is from York, which is where Guy Fox was born. And that's where I lived when I lived in England. And it is my favorite tea ever. So it's a black tea and I drink it with milk and sugar. And I was taught by true Yorkshires to drink it with uh, milk and sugar. So Ooh. anybody who says drink it plain, I can say, no, I was instructed by authentic you know, British tea drinkers. If you guys ever come to my house, I will make you a cup of tea and you don't have a choice. You will love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it sounds pretty great.